Welcome to PantherCast, the official podcast of TMI Episcopal, where we share stories from our alumni, updates about the school, and help you reconnect and discover what the TMI community is all about. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of TMI's PantherCast podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Director of Community Relations. Once again, I'm pleased to bring you the audio of our senior chapel talks from this past week by William Elms, Raymond Fu, and Peyton Down, TMI Class of 2019. Our first featured talk is by William Elms. In his talk, Will reflects on the memories and lessons his four families have given him over the years, explaining his blood, football, lacrosse, and friend families He shares how TMI is much more than a community to him. This community is his family. And now, enjoy this senior chapel talk. When I first came to school here in sixth grade, I heard a lot of talk about how TMI is a community. I'll be honest, I don't really know what community meant to me at that time. I guess I just thought community referred to the TMI students and teachers, just a group of people at the same school, no big deal. Now it took until about the 10th grade for me to realize that people on this campus were actually becoming more than a group of people. They were becoming a part of my family. So I ask you, what does family mean to you? Family can refer to different things as there are different types of families. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines family as a group of people of common ancestry. I am not trying to say that the great dictionary is wrong here, but I do believe it is slightly flawed in its meaning. The definition of family to me is a group of people who have a strong bond or connection between them. For example, I believe I have four different families. My blood family, football family, lacrosse family, and my friend family. All of these families are important influences in my life, and I do not know where I would be without these people that make up these families. Now, of course, I have known my blood family the longest, I can close my eyes and still hear the often repeated phrases that I now consider to be priceless wisdom, such as, if you are not 10 minutes early, you are late, which is one I'm not particularly good at, but I hear it all the time anyway. And another good one is, if you hoot with the owls at night, then you cannot soar with the eagles in the day, which is a phrase my dad always tells me before I leave the house to meet with my friends. I have two brothers and one sister. My oldest brother, Robert, has taught me how to be smoother with my golf swing and not stand so close to the ball. My other brother, Joe, took me for truck rides when I was a toddler, which I still remember to this day and look forward to the same thing with his son is doing about two weeks. My sister, Jamie, has taught me how to always have fun in any given situation. From a young age, my sister would, make, would always make faces and get me laughing during the family prayer before meals. A typical older sister getting a little brother in trouble. While obviously not blood, another important part of my family are the dogs we have. Athena, Safira, and Maggie have shown me that dogs really are a man's best friend because since the time when I was a little kid exploring the woods surrounding my house and now when I'm driving up the driveway, My dogs are always there to protect, comfort, and greet me. Safira also happens to like tackling me, which is much like my football family. For me, football is the ultimate team game. You need all 11 players to be on the same page and share an unspoken understanding of the play 
and everything going on around them. It takes a ton of work to make a good football team click. The coaches are equivalent to the parents in the family, and the team is a bunch of siblings. The coaches must teach the players the right way to do a certain task, like tackling, blocking, catching, etc. Just like parents are always trying to teach their kids to clean up their room, maintain personal hygiene, and to act appropriately for the occasion. In teaching these lessons, a parent can become very frustrated. So can coaches. An example of this would be during my sophomore year when Coach Polo snapped his glasses in two on his calf because Reed Jordan was once again on the field at the wrong time, despite having been told numerous times to not take the field. The players are as, uh, as competitive, supportive, and loving to each other as any other siblings are. When I was a freshman, the senior starting quarterback, Will Cruz, treated me like his little brother in that he gave me tips on how to play quarterback. Little did I realize Will had an ulterior motive. He secretly wanted to play other positions such as linebacker and tight end. Because as a quarterback at TMI, you're not allowed to play anything but quarterback. So in true sibling fashion, he let me take over his position so he could go and have his fun. Now my lacrosse family is similar to my football family, but is also different in multiple ways. We are much more relaxed and loose and go with the flow rather than stress about every single minute detail. For example, if you tell a joke at lacrosse practice, the coach will laugh and tell a couple more jokes of his own. At football practice, if you tell a joke, the coach will tell you to take a mental rep, which means stop talking, pay attention, and focus on what you're doing. In lacrosse, there's also this thing called the hot seat, where a player will go and sell a bucket and sell a little bit of himself to the whole team. After he is done talking, the team will then begin asking him questions about anything they desire to know. This was an important tradition last year that helped me get to know the people that are part of my lacrosse family. Now I am lucky enough to have a fourth family, my friends. This family of friends started with my Uncle Mario. Now Uncle Mario is not actually a blood relative, but my dad's best friend from elementary school. The stories I have heard from the experiences together would take at least a full day to tell. But I learned that not all family has to be related through blood. I have been at this school since the sixth grade, and there are multiple friendships that I hope are as strong as my dad's and Uncle Mario's. My friends will always have my back and are always there for me when I need help the most, just like my parents, brothers, and sister are. And of course, not all of my experiences can be spoken of here under the roof of God. However, one that can be told is my trip to Cody's Lake House and how Torpy, Cameron, and I managed to flip an unflippable jet ski in the coldest water I've ever been in. Another story is the annual trip to the Guadalupe River with a group of my friends that we like to call the Guad Squad. While there, we like to partake in activities such as skipping rocks, catching fish, swimming, and exploring nature. We then successfully returned to Coach Polo without suffering an injury. I would like to thank my parents for enrolling me to TMI. This has given me the opportunity to expand my family beyond the traditional norm of blood relatives. TMI is about community, and community to me is family. I have one more thing to say to you, and that is, cherish your families, have fun with your families, respect your families, but most of all, love your families. Thank you. Our second featured talk is by Raymond Fu. 
Raymond started attending TMI as an eighth grader and is hoping to attend Cornell University next fall, where he is planning to pursue a degree in engineering. When not in class, you'll find Raymond watching sports or playing the trumpet. Thank you for listening, and now enjoy this senior chapel talk. I have been at TMI for about five years. Throughout these years, I've heard countless chapel talks. Based on my experience, there are only two types of chapel talks. The first one is when the speaker talks so loud that the audience cannot fall asleep. And the second one is when the speaker talks so long that the audience cannot stay awake. For my first time hearing the chapel talk as an eighth grader, to the last chapel talk I listened to last year. I've been thinking about how to write my own talk. As I went from middle school to high school, from freshman to junior, the question of what to write for my talk has become more urgent day by day. Every time I heard a senior hear his chapel talk, I would become nervous and could not stop thinking of what I should write. I'm sure that as I speak, Many of you are also nervous about your own chapel talk. But don't worry, whether your talk is good or not, no one will remember it after a week or so. <laughs> As I started to prepare my chapel talk this past summer, I began to think of a topic that I should talk about. I do not want to give an ordinary talk I have all heard so many times, such as loving your family or challenging yourself. No offense, well. <laughs> I want to make this talk as memorable as possible for me and for each one of you. So after careful consideration, I have decided to talk about how everyone in this chapel, including me, are puppets. With rapid technological development in the recent decades, the way we receive information has changed dramatically. In the past, we used to receive news from friends and neighbors, from television, newspapers, or radio broadcasts. And the speed and scale of the information received were limited. As you know, things have changed. With the creation of the internet, we can get information on a wider scale at a faster speed. These days, anyone who's unsure of a certain issue can simply go online to generate their new opinions. Once online, hosts of bloggers, pundits, and analysts are ready and willing to tell people exactly how they should think about an important topic. This is good in a way since we are more involved in what is happening around us. However, with, with most good things, there is always a bad side. Due to the way we receive information, we can eat more easily being manipulated, making it increasingly difficult to think independently. One great example of this type of manipulation is political propaganda. Political propaganda is common worldwide, including in the US. We can see it from how the US portrays communist countries. From the Soviet Union to Cuba, from China to North Korea, the U.S. portrays these countries as enemies. 
Take China, for example, which the US frequently cites a lack of human rights, and the Western media often reports shocking news of what the Chinese government does to its citizens that is intolerable. It is true that China is much less democratic than most countries, and there are many problems with the lack of human rights and the defective systems of laws. But if you ask a Chinese citizen, I can guarantee that almost none of them will tell you that they hate their government. Just think about this. How can a government be that evil when it turns a country which lacked everything and was frequently oppressed by other countries to a rising superpower that could possibly challenge the dominance of the US? Anyone with a rational judgment would admit that the government in charge of a rapidly ascending country is doing well. The government might have some problems within itself, but based on the statistics, it is doing well economically and lifting its people out of poverty. This type of government may not fit Western ideals, but it seems to really work for China. However, with the overblown criticisms in the media, people in the US still have great bias against Chinese government. America is not, is not alone on this critical problem. People's lack of personal judgment is a worldwide issue. When people lose their independent judgment, they could only blindly follow. And when society loses its own judgment, it could fall into chaos. Germans supported the Nazi government because they were blinded by the overwhelming support of the party. They lost their own judgment, which caused Adolf Hitler to take power. Chinese people are significantly good at following the popular trends. Zhang Wenzhong was China's, one of China's most iconic entrepreneurs after the Chinese economic reform. He's the founder of Umut, the earliest retailer and the biggest supermarket chain in China. In 2006, Zhang was arrested and sentenced 18 years in prison. The court session was private, and people could not see the sentencing process. At that time, people around the country criticized him as a bad guy. His company took a big hit and will never be the dominant supermarket in China again. In prison, Zhang refused to succumb to injustice and never stopped fighting. Finally, on May 31st, 2018, his case was overturned by the Supreme Court of China, but he still wasted 12 years in prison. This story tells us that the media does not always tell us the truth. We should not judge something only based on what other people say or what the authority hides. Even among the people that have self, strong self-judgment, they do not often speak up. Many people fear rejections, so we do not speak up because we worry that our ideas may be discarded. Since we fear this discouragement, we keep our thoughts to ourselves and refuse to tell others about them. People with the independent thought and the courage to speak up are the ones that shape and mold our society today. They are the ones who dare to stand against unfair rules. I believe that most of you have heard of Galileo. He challenged the undisputed fact set by Aristotle, which had not been questioned for almost 2,000 years. Galileo said that Aristotle was wrong in his theory, which stated that things fall faster when they are heavier. Everyone at that time mocked him for challenging an established fact, but he did not give up and firmly proved his concept to be true. 
he courageously challenged the authority and went on to be the father of modern science. When we lose our own judgment, we gradually lose our own identities. Rather than being swayed by social convention, others' opinion, social pressures, or fear, you can hold firmly to your own judgment. The ability to think independently is becoming rare. Too many people take the easy way out and simply allow the majority to do their thinking for them. But thinking independently has little to do with always going against the majority. Whether you side with the majority or not is less important than how you decide who to side with. When you lead to the conclusion by your own judgment, after choosing to take advice from others with rationality instead of taking the advice without independence, you are making the right decision. Thank you. Our final chapel talk from last week is by Peyton Down. Peyton started attending TMI her freshman year and is hoping to attend the University of Colorado Boulder next fall. When not in class, you'll find Peyton behind the camera taking pictures or spending time with her family and friends. And now, enjoy this senior chapel talk. It was late that night, and my brother and I were sitting nervously in the back of a small, dark police car. All you could see were the flashing red and blue lights pulsing across the white mountaintops. Earlier that evening, my father decided to take the faster way to the hotel, but the road was closed due to the terrible snowstorm. We all sat in silence while my dad focused on the white, icy roads. I could tell my parents were tense. If my brother and I started to talk, my mom asked us to be quiet to help my dad focus on the winding roads ahead. Throughout my childhood, I have struggled with a bit with anxiety. Many years ago, my mom and I made a deal that if a situation was ever truly frightening, my mom would tell me so. And if not, I didn't need to worry. This helped to calm me and helped me not to worry needlessly. On that dark night, I asked the shadow of my mom's face if she thought I should be scared. And she responded yes, and admitted that even she herself was scared. My mom yelled out to my dad, watch out, as the car started to slip towards the right, missing the guardrail only by a few feet. The initial contact with the snowbank felt like a thud. The road had been largely abandoned due to the snowstorm that night. My dad thought the road would provide a shortcut to Aspen. One big life lesson, don't take shortcuts. My parents began to brainstorm about the possible solutions to the problem. My mom and dad knew the car was stuck in the snowbank and that there would be no way to dislodge the vehicle on their own. My brother and I were really too young to help. You might be thinking, why not just pick up a cell phone? And the answer is that I was too young to process if that was even an option. There is no sense of any human life coming anytime soon on the road. We were stranded. Finally, literally out of nowhere, three different people arrived, independently and all around the same time. One man was driving a pickup truck who just happened to have tow gear. Another car arrived with a female police officer who offered to call additional help for us. And the final car was a calm couple 
who asked if there was anything they could do to help. In disbelief, my mouth gaped open, staring at the arrival of our rescuers. The cold air collided with the red and nervous heat rising from my cheekbones as I got in the back of the police car with my brother. As Asa and I were alone, we sat in silence, confused and anxiously waiting for what would happen next. My parents were so thankful that someone was on the empty, closed road that helped my family out of the dangerous car accident we were in. No one called for help. These people were all helping us through pure luck, or perhaps a miraculous blessing. From that point on, we have always referred to our rescuers as our three angels who saved us that day. When my mom and I started talking, she said it was like God sent angels to help us out of this situation. She explained to Aston and I that it was very rare that people would be on the same road we were on. Plus, they were all perfectly prepared with everything we needed to get help. The odds of people coming on the closed road with everything we needed was unreal. It was at this moment my faith was first tested. My mom seemed so confident and clear that these angels were sent to help us. How did she know? Maybe it was just random. As I have thought back on this experience over the years, I have become more convinced that these were angels. I have no proof. It's just a strong, deep feeling in my heart. When I have faced struggles in my life, I have come to know that God has a design and plan for the challenges presented to us. I have come to think that these challenges are ways that God strengthens and prepares us for the next stage of our lives. And at each crossroad, when I have felt as though there was no hope, my faith was renewed with a new possibility. It is really very inspiring and uplifting when you think about it, because there is always the possibility of hope in the midst of despair. I really admire and appreciate those angels who saved us that night. They showed such compassion and courage. I don't know their names, but they have forever inspired me to try to be there for others. And I'm pretty sure we're all here to help each other and to lift each other to a higher level. Those three angels saved my family that day. One day, I hope to be that angel for someone else. What about you? Thank you. Thank you for listening to TMI's PantherCast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback and show ideas, so leave us a comment, email, or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter using at TMI Episcopal. For more news, ways to connect, and to learn about upcoming events on campus, visit our website at www.tmi-sa.org.